Well, hello again, everyone. This is Phil Giuliotti here again on Messianic Lamb Network, and this program is One in Messiah. And we're here on Thursdays at this time and on Mondays at this time on Messianic Lamb Network. And it's great that you're tuned in. If you uh, haven't been with us before, just to give you a little introduction, One in Messiah is a ministry that I started about well, coming up on eight years ago now, which connects passages in the Tanakh and passages in the New Testament and presents the plan of salvation through the whole scripture, which is kind of our motto. And it's based on Ephesians 2, uh, verses uh, 14 and 15, where it says that Yeshua in his flesh broke down the partition between the two, making one new man. And it's about the kingdom. We're going to talk a lot about kingdoms tonight because this talk is called ambassadors, and we are ambassadors of the kingdom. It's one kingdom. It's one body of Messiah. It's Jew and Gentile. There are not two bodies. There's not a Jewish body and a Gentile body. The message of salvation is the same for all not different covenants, not different ways, not different ideas, but it's the same message because it was prefigured in Torah. And Yeshua himself said in John 5 that the speaking to the religious leaders at the time, he said, you say you believe Moses, but if you believe Moses, you'd believe me because Moses wrote about me. And then a few verses later, he says, all the scriptures testify of me. And so as you read through Torah, you see the prefigurements, the types, the shadows that point to Messiah. As you read through the prophets, you see the types, the shadows, the prefigurements, and actual in-depth writing about what Messiah was going to be like, what he was going to do, even where he was going to come from, and what would happen as a result. And based, I like to use Isaiah's version of this as the, the backbone of it, but many, many, many passages that say the Gentiles will be included in the kingdom, included in the plan after Messiah comes. And Paul does a beautiful job of describing this in all of his letters, but in particular, Romans and Galatians. The writer to the Hebrews does a beautiful exposition of this and how Yeshua fulfills Torah and how he is the eternal high priest and the eternal sacrifice. And so this is what the plan of salvation is about. There are not two separate plans. There are there are people, and I've talked with a few of them over the year, last few years. There are people that feel that Jews are saved by their covenant and Gentile Christians are saved by their covenant. No, there's one Messiah, there's one body, there's one plan. And so this is what we do in one Messiah. And on Friday nights, we meet in person. We do an Arab Shabbat type of service, although modified a great deal. 
And if you live in the Cleveland area, I want to invite you to stop in. We meet at 709 Brook Park Road, which is Calvary Chapel Church, 709 Brook Park Road. And we get we gather there about 6.15. We started at about 6.30. Uh, the, um, I don't want to call them services, but the sessions are live streamed on Facebook and then put on YouTube. And if you're in the area, you should stop in. I'd love to say hello. And um, it's great to be here in Messianic Lamb. And again, I want to thank Mark David Smith for all the work that he does in putting this network together and using it as a platform to have so much diverse programming about Hebrew roots of the faith and um, the foundations and the roots. As Paul tells us in Romans 11, that the roots nourish the tree, nourish the branches. And the roots, of course, are Judaism, are the Torah, are the prophets, are the writings, the Tanakh, the whole Tanakh. And it's the foundation and it's the roots. And so I'm glad you tuned in. Um, the YouTube channel that I mentioned, I'm going to show uh, a slide at the end where it'll summarize all the sites. But the YouTube channel is called One in Messiah Gift of Grace Ministries. You know, that's a little awkward and that's a long story, but it's One in Messiah Gift of Grace Ministries. And since I'm advertising, I also have a podcast. If you go to, I think, every podcast provider and search for Dr. Phil slash Gift of Grace, there are between 800 and 900 podcasts there. That you can find teachings on a variety of things. And also, since I'm advertising, there are also two websites. One is www.oneinmessiah.website. That's oneinmessiah.website. And the other is www.giftofgraceministries.org. Giftofgraceministries.org. You can find a lot of Bible studies. All my radio shows are there. A lot of interesting little commentaries. Which, I mean, you might not think they're interesting. I think they're kind of interesting, but. That's beside the point. So it's great to be here on Messianic Lamb. And um, what we generally do here, if it's the first time you're tuning in, is usually there's a teaching. Today is going to be a teaching. And when there's a teaching, it 99% of the time includes a PowerPoint. This teaching does include a PowerPoint. Sometimes we interview guests. A couple of weeks ago, I had Paul Wilbur here, who's a good friend of mine, and I have the honor of being on his board. And we've had numerous other people on, other members of the Wilbur family and um, a representative from Joseph People Ministries and um, together with Israel. And that's uh, Dr. Sam Nadler on and um, Scott Bulk from uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. And there'll be other interviews coming up, but today's going to be another teaching. So I just want to warn you. <laughs> so if you want to tune out now and say, oh, I can't stand another teaching. No, I hope you don't. But anyway, so that's kind of the whole 
<laughs> rundown on, on one and Messiah. And so tonight we're going to talk about being ambassadors. And the talk is called Ambassadors of the Kingdom. We're going to talk about what ambassadors are, what the kingdom is, what ambassadors do. And as the um, as the program was about to start, and this certainly is not a revelation because it is so obvious that a lot of times in the history of governments, of political entities, of historical entities, there have been ambassadors from a country that have gone to work in a hostile country and sometimes in very hostile countries. And we're going to take a passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, where Paul says, we are ambassadors. And with that in mind, realize now that as we're ambassadors now, we are ambassadors in a hostile country, a hostile culture, a hostile environment. And I don't mean country in just the United States. I'm just using that as an example of what ambassadors do. But it's a hostile world. You know, Yeshua himself said the ruler of this world is going to be judged. So he clearly said Satan was the ruler of this world. Paul called Satan the prince of the power of the air. And as you look around now, you see the passage in Revelation coming true that says when Satan knows his time is short, he gets very aggressive. And we've seen over the last few years, Satan has gotten very aggressive. Much more so now than, I don't know, I think in, certainly in any time in my lifetime, maybe any time in the past, to now even to the point of natural law not being applied to things common sense is long gone and what used to be the fundamentals of western christian society are pretty much rotted away now but there always is a remnant and we are in the remnant if you're watching this if you're watching this network if you're going to your congregation or church and you're worshiping and praying and studying scripture, you're in the remnant. And so as ambassadors of the kingdom, we're now going into a hostile environment. We're representing the king and the kingdom in a hostile environment. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to shrink myself down so we can do the PowerPoint better. Because I want to concentrate on the PowerPoint, not on a stupid picture of myself. But so here we are, ambassadors of the kingdom. So um, you can see that well. But so we're going to go. We're going to we're going to start with the Great Commission. Everybody knows the Great Commission. I mean, if you walk into any church, any congregation, any Bible study any group of places where there's believers and you say, Great Commission, I'd be shocked if no one has ever heard of it or say, I don't know what you mean. The Great Commission is in Matthew 28. It's actually also stated in Acts chapter 1. 
just before the ascension of the Lord in Acts 1. But and we're going to take the Matthew 28 passage, verse 18. And Yeshua came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the Great Commission. And the interesting word there is nations. He doesn't say, go through Israel and do this. And of course, it's mentioned that you go from Jerusalem through Judea and to Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. But here the emphasis has been on, here the emphasis is on going into the nations and making disciples and baptizing them. And he gives the formula of Christian baptism, which is the Trinity, which is the triune Godhead. And the other interesting point here is he says, you baptize them in the name singular of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say the names of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, which would indicate they're three separate beings. They are three separate persons, but in one being and one essence. And this, of course, was the debate of the first couple of centuries and led to the Council of Nicaea and so forth. And we're not going to obviously get into all that. But in this passage, he indicates the term nations in the Old Testament is always goyim. In the Greek, it's usually ethnos, which we get the word ethnic from, different kinds of people. So he's telling these disciples that they're going to go to different kinds of people, and they're going to make disciples. That's a word that's been lost in our time. I mean, other than people who are seriously in the remnant, this whole concept of disciples is long gone. Because... Disciple, which, of course, has the same root as the word discipline. The word disciple is almost meaningless today. People think they're disciples if they say a prayer once a week and go to church for 47 minutes. They think that they're disciples. But he he puts a much stricter definition, not just here, but in Matthew, I think it's 14, where he says, if you want to be my disciple, You deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. You don't hear that from the prosperity people. You don't hear that from the word of faith people. You don't hear that from the hyper-grace people. Being a disciple is a very serious business. And we think we know about crosses. We don't know anything about crosses compared to the men he's talking to who knew very well about crosses, because they saw men suffering and dying on crosses all their lives. This was the means of execution. So what Yeshua is saying to them is, you're going to deny yourself, you're going to pick up your cross. In other words, you're going to your own execution, because your life is not that anymore, what it was before. 
And Paul talks brilliantly about that in Romans and Galatians as well and, and mentions it through all his letters. He says, the old me doesn't live anymore. I'm a new creation. The old me was crucified. And so he's Yeshua himself is telling these guys that you're going, you're going to make, you're going to make disciples. He talks to all of them there. And he commissions them. How do we know he commissions them? He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I have all the authority in heaven and in earth. And so that's the authority I'm giving you this commission with. You know, somebody somebody commissions you to do something, they have to have more authority than you do. They have to be a higher placed person. You don't get commissioned by a lower placed person. He has all the authority, he says, in heaven and earth. And I'm giving you this commission to go to the nations. You know, Psalm 2, verse 6, we know, it says, I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Messiah wasn't going to come to live in some area of Africa or some area of Europe or some area of East Asia or some area of South America. He was going to live in the land of Israel. He was going to live in Zion, which Zion, of course, kind of poetically implies all of the land, even though Mount Zion's one of the well, they're called mountains. They're not really mountains, but one of the mountains in this is, is in Jerusalem, the holy city. So he says, on the holy hill of Zion, I've set my king. He set the king there. Messiah Yeshua is the king that is being talked about here by David in Psalm 2. And so he has all authority in heaven and earth. And in Luke chapter 1, where... Uh, the angel Gabriel was talking to Mary, talking about this son that's going to be conceived in her and that she's going to give birth to. Gabriel says he's going to sit the, on the throne of his father, David. So it's a kingdom. There's a king on the holy hill of Zion. There's a king who sits on the throne of David. And you know, I hope you know that in Second Samuel chapter 7, the prophet Nathan tells David that his throne is going to last forever. <clears throat> David's throne is never going to be abolished. And from David's own body is going to come the one who's going to sit on the throne forever. And here, Gabriel tells Mary, this boy you're going to have is going to sit on the throne of his father David forever. His kingdom is never going to end. And so, it's he he does this he commissions these men on his own authority because he has all authority because he's the king he was sitting on the throne is still sitting on the throne and still has all the authority and in order for the plan of salvation to have been enacted to have been fulfilled i should say which and going back to Revelation, Revelation tells us that the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. In other words, the plan of salvation was made before anything was even created, before the world was created, before anything was created. 
And so in this plan, Yeshua offers himself as the perfect sacrifice to the Father, through the Spirit. We don't understand this in its entirety, but we get the general idea. And so because he does this, all authority is given to him. You know, in the Psalms, well, I'm blanking out now if it's 105 or 110, you know, God the Father calls God the Son God and says, your throne, O God, throne of David. God sits on the throne of David, and the one who sits on the throne of David is Yeshua, the Messiah, the God-man. So in that Psalm, the Father is calling the Son God. So because of this, because of the perfect sacrifice, the writer to the Hebrews says he's the anchor in the Holy of Holies. He says our hope is an anchor. You commonly see when there's drawings or depictions of hope, it's very commonly depicted as an anchor because an anchor is what holds a ship in its place and the ship doesn't move because the anchor holds it down. So even though there's a really big ship, you've got a big anchor in the floor of the sea and it holds the, the ship in that place. So the writer to the Hebrew says, he's the anchor in the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was about him. It's still about him. Holy of Holies prefigured, as the writer says, the heavenly sanctuary, the sanctuary not made by human hands. The Holy of Holies at the temple, of course, was made by human hands, but now he's in the sanctuary, which is not made by human hands. And the writer says he's passed through the veil, which is the heavens. So in other words, this is a reference back to Torah, of course. This is like preaching to the choir with this audience, but this is a reference back to Torah, and it's a reference back to Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, where the high priest goes through the veil with the blood of a bull and a goat and sprinkles it on the mercy seat for the, quote, sins of the people. So the writer to the Hebrew says this prefigures Yeshua going through the veil with his own blood. But the writer says he goes through the veil, which are the heavens, and he takes the blood to the ultimate mercy seat, which is the throne. So therefore, he has the authority. That's what all authority in heaven and earth. And Paul describes this beautifully in the first chapter of his letter to the Colossians. Which says everything subsists in him. In other words, he rules the whole universe, everything in the universe. Nothing is happening that he's not in charge of. And as um, Hank Hanegraaff likes to say, there's not a maverick molecule anywhere in the universe that Yeshua is not in control of. He's not surprised by something that happens somewhere. So therefore, he has all the authority. So in this commissioning, they're being commissioned. They're, in fact, given their credentials by the ultimate authority, by the king, capital K. An ambassador goes to another government 
of his home his or her home country and the government of of his country commissions him to go nobody can just say i think i'm going to go be the ambassador to spain and if you show up in spain, in madrid and say i decided i'm going to be the american ambassador to spain your credentials won't be accepted because you don't have any. But if the president, if the government of the United States says you're the ambassador to Spain, you have credentials. And you go to the government palace or whatever it is in Madrid, and you say, I'm the new ambassador from the United States. Here's my credentials. They got their credentials from the king, capital K, himself, capital H. And they're going to go out as ambassadors from that moment on. They're not going just to represent him or just to talk about him or just to talk about scripture or just to talk about Tanakh or just to talk about... They're going out to make disciples because this is what it's about. And they they were to go. They weren't supposed to go sit around someplace and think about it for a while. They did do that, but not for very long. And after Pentecost, they certainly didn't do that anymore. They weren't to, it was kind of like when Abram was called in Ur. God says, get up, go. No time to think about it. Not supposed to say, well, I don't know. I got to talk this over with Sarah. I, I got to talk this over with my friends. This seems kind of crazy. The commission is get up and go. Get your stuff, go right now. When Joseph, um, Mary's husband, Joseph, not Jacob's son, Joseph, gets a dream to take the child and his mother to Egypt, as I think we talked about a couple of weeks ago. It says that very night he went, get up, take the child and his mother, and go. He did it immediately. It wasn't time to think about it. Here, the idea here is the imagery of an eagle in the Greek, which takes, you know, an eagle stirs up its nest, and I don't want to get into all that bird stuff, but the mother eagle puts the little eaglets on her wings and goes up and then shakes them off. So they start frantically flapping. And that's how they learn to fly, because if they don't, they're going to just fall to the ground. So he's telling them, now you're going like an, e like an eagle. Now you're going to fly. I'm not going to, I'm going to be with you, but I'm not going to be here in a way that you can see me. You're not going to see me like you've been seeing me for the last three years, but I'll be with you. And the other paraclete will be guiding you and living in you. That's the commission. And you're going to go to all the nations and you're going to make disciples. And again, disciples is serious. He doesn't tell them to go tell people about him because he wants people to like him. He wants fans. And if people want to, you know, if people want to be fans of Buddha or Confucius or Krishna or Baal or whatever, that's cool. But if they want to be my fans, that's fine too. No. So they're going to be my disciples. He doesn't want interested observers. 
yeah, you know, I kind of know about the Jesus thing. And I mean, some people kind of go overboard about it, but I kind of know about it. No, you don't, if that's your attitude. He didn't tell them to go make weekend participants, to go to church on Sunday morning, or to go to the um, Messianic synagogue on Shabbat. And, you know, they kind of go there for an hour and a half or so and, and go about your business. No, he didn't tell them, go tell people that I can kind of supplement their lives a little bit. I can make their life a little more interesting. I can give them some, you know, positive energy or some of this nonsense that people talk about now. You know, we're sending our thoughts and our energies. You know, that smacks of the occult. He's not saying, just tell them, you know, if they think about me once in a while, if they believe me, then it's going to kind of help their lives. They're going to feel better about things. It'll kind of pick them up a little bit during the day. I mean, I don't want them to stress out. There's no pressure. And there's no pressure on you guys. But if you feel like it, you know, you might mention me once in a while. No. He wants disciples. He wants disciplined followers. He wants disciples that are surrendered to him that are interested in spreading the good news, spreading the gospel. You know, we have a world that's going down the drain really fast, farther and farther into a dark abyss. When Paul wrote um, to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says the great falling away will happen at the end time. We've seen it happen. It's still going on, but it's, for the most part, has already happened. You know, he writes to Timothy that people aren't going to tolerate sound doctrine. They're going to believe fables. They're going to believe what their itching ears want to hear. And we're seeing that. All you have to do is put Christian TV on for 15 minutes, and you can't stand it anymore. And so he wants to spread the gospel, spread the good news. And he wants followers that are surrendered to him, that deny themselves that pick up their cross, that their life as they knew it didn't exist anymore. It was different now because it was no longer they who lived, but Christ who lived in them, as, as Paul says. So this is what he's commissioning them to do, not to make casual observers. And he's not telling them to go preach against somebody. You know, the prophets were commonly told, go preach against Israel. Go preach against the land there. Go preach against Judah. Go preach against those people. You know, Jonah's commissioned to go to Nineveh, eventually gets there. He's commissioned to go and tell the people in Nineveh they're going to be destroyed. Well, they're not told to preach against people. They're, they're told to make followers, to make disciples of him of himself, to bring them under his banner, so to speak. Isaiah does a beautiful job of talking about how Jew and Gentile alike will be united under the banner. He's going to gather the outcasts of Judah, the outcasts of Israel, and the nations, and they're going to come under a banner. 
And of course, the formula is to the Jew first and then the Gentile, as is stated in other places. We can't put up every scripture. But this is their commission. This is their work, so to speak. This is their task. And so they get this commission in a different way than the prophets in the Tanakh did. So they are going to be, from that moment on, well, let's say nine or ten days later, after the morning of Pentecost, Shavuot, then their job as ambassadors, ambassadors of the kingdom, their commission is going to take full effect. Full effect. And Paul's going to talk about this, and this is the scripture I wanted to get to, 2 Corinthians 5.20. I always tell people, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, if you're only going to memorize one verse in the whole Bible, it should be that. But this is the verse before that, uh, verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Messiah, as though God were pleading through us We implore you on Messiah's behalf, be reconciled to God. We're ambassadors. This is the message. Through us, he's pleading with people to come. Through us, we're telling people, you have to be reconciled. You stand condemned. If you stand of your own position, your own I don't know, strength, your own, whatever you want to call it, you stand condemned because you have violated the law over and over and over again. You cannot be reconciled because you have violated the law. You can't be reconciled by saying an extra prayer. You can't be reconciled by doing whatever. So on behalf of Messiah, you can be reconciled. He says, no one comes to the Father but by me. There's not 28 different ways to be saved. There's one way to be saved. And so we as ambassadors, that's the message that the ambassadors are taking. And of course, that applies to us as well. We're taking that message to the world. We're taking that message to our families, the people at the store, the people at work, the people at the gym or whatever, the people at the coffee shop, the people at the where where you go in your normal life. This is the message. You need to be reconciled, and this is the only way that you can be reconciled. So what does this mean for the church? What does this mean for the body? What does this mean for us in general? How are you an ambassador? How are you um, involved in this? What does this mean for the body? Church being defined as the body. It's only one body. I'm not going to keep repeating that, but so many places now where there's this division has occurred. 
of the Jewish body as a Gentile body. That's ridiculous. We're all under one banner. So what does this mean? Well, interestingly, to getting back to the idea of an ambassador that a country sends to another country, an ambassador doesn't speak on their own. Not only can you not go be an ambassador if you haven't been credentialed, if you haven't been appointed, if you haven't been commissioned by your home government, you don't go to the country that you're going to and say, well, this is what I think you should do. I think you should stop this and do this other thing, or I like what you're doing with this, but I don't like what you're doing with that. The ambassador goes and tells that country what the authority who sent them has sent them to do. So, for example, let's take again the ambassador, the American ambassador to Spain. He goes and says, my government says this, this, and this we like. There's other thing we don't like, but this is this and this. And what we'd like you to do is this and that and the other thing. Not his opinion not acting on his own authority, but the authority that sent him is the authority that's making the um, decision, making the, the speech, making the position, making the, um, not even sure what else to call it, the platform that they're talking on. It's not his opinion. So we as ambassadors of the King, capital K, don't go somewhere and give our opinion. We don't say, well, you might have heard that, you know, this business about Jesus. But let me tell you something. It's nice, you know, if you want to follow Jesus. But the God I believe in, you know, doesn't he's not really into condemning people. Loves everybody. And you can do whatever you want because Jesus loved everybody. No, that's not what the ambassador said. If you look back on that scripture, it says, everything that I taught you, everything that you learned. You know, Yeshua says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He doesn't say, hey, if I love you, so hey, do whatever you want. Everything's cool. Don't worry. <laughs> In the end, it all doesn't matter because grace covers everything. No, he doesn't say that. Just reminding you of everything I taught you, everything you heard from me. So the ambassador doesn't act on his own authority. Oh, I know the Bible's kind of important, but I don't want you to get too like hung up on it. I know going to church is important, but don't, you know, don't don't make a big deal about it. I mean, if you feel like going, go. Oh, yeah, prayer's important, but you know, no pressure, because you got a busy life. You don't have time for that. But it's cool because Jesus loves you anyway. No, that's not the message. That's if you do that, you're acting on your own authority. And he doesn't, an ambassador doesn't act on his own authority. An ambassador says what they've been told to say. The president or somebody at the State Department tells the ambassador to Spain, um, when you go to the government there, this is what I want you to tell them. 
Here's the position paper on this. Here's the points that we want emphasized. This is the important part of what you're going to do there. Not, and eh, tell them what you feel like telling them. Do we just don't want any trouble? We want them to like us better. Or we want everything to be cool. So the ambassador doesn't speak on his own behalf and also doesn't make up what he wants to say. And he doesn't give his own opinion. He doesn't go to the Spanish government and say, my government, the president and my State Department, my government says this, this, and this. But you know what? I think they're kind of overdoing this, and they're not really putting enough emphasis on that. So in my opinion, my opinion, no, they say what they're commissioned to say because they're representatives. They're messengers. So we're representatives of the kingdom. We're messengers of the kingdom. We don't go and say, well, you know, in the Bible it says, but you know, that's that's written a long time ago. I we can loosen up on that. We gotta get with the times. Yeah, I know that Yeshua said this and that and the other thing, but you know, he's talking in a different context. That's a different time. That doesn't apply to us now. If he was here now talking, he would talk like we talk. No, that's not what an ambassador does. They're representatives and they're messengers. So they give the message to their government, to the, to the government that they're sent to. If they're rejected, if the message is rejected, it's not them. It's not that man or woman who's the ambassador that's being rejected. It's the one who sent them that's being rejected. If the Spanish government says to the ambassador, well, we don't agree with what your country says, and we're not going to do that. And you say, oh, now you've hurt my feelings. Now you've rejected me. Now I don't know. No, they're rejecting the authority that sent you there. The offense is to the authority. So when we represent the kingdom, capital K, and the message is rejected, they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting him, capital H, the government, the king. So that's the central point in this. We can't take the rejection personally because it's not about us. The ambassador shouldn't be insulted if the government says, no, we're not going to do that because the insult is to the one who sent him or her. And when we go, when you go someplace and present Yeshua, present the gospel, and the person rolls their eyes and says, oh, I never heard such nonsense in my life. We shouldn't feel like we're the ones being insulted. Even if they throw some personal insults, they're insulting the government that sent us, the king that sent us, not us. Because starting with the apostles, they didn't preach a feel-good message. They didn't have the really good music and the light show and the smoke machine and the, you know, Sunday morning self-esteem. Isn't this fun? We're so awesome. Everybody here who's awesome, you know, and what I call high five Jesus. Yeah, my buddy Jesus, you know, we're cool. Everything's cool. They didn't preach our, you know, quote, seeker-friendly message. 
they confronted those that didn't believe. They said, well, this is the gospel. I've presented it to you. They got expelled from the synagogues. They got expelled from towns. You know, in Second Corinthians, Paul talks about all the times he's been stoned and beaten with rods and shipwrecked and left for dead and been robbed and been out in the country and attacked, been in the city and attacked, but he keeps going. He says, I've learned to live with food without food, with money without money, because it's not about me. So yeah, it's not always easy, but it we don't preach the message so that the people will say, well, you know, I like you. You made me feel better now. Even though I'm in sin and I'm condemned, you made me feel better now because you said everything was cool. Then you're contributing to the person not achieving salvation if you tell them that they're perfectly fine the way they are. And this is what they did. After Pentecost, that morning of Shavuot, where that feast was also fulfilled, of course, they knew what Yeshua had said. They understood finally what he meant. And Peter tells the crowd, there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. You can't be saved by David. You can't be saved by Solomon. You can't be saved by Moses. You can't be, Abraham can't save you. This is the only way that you can be saved. And I love Peter's statement about save yourself from this perverse generation. In other words, don't be like everybody else. Because the whole generation you live in is perverse. Boy, the generation we live in is totally perverse. Save yourself from that. If we tell people oh, everything is fine, don't worry. Don't worry, everything's fine. God loves you the way you are. Whatever you do, he's cool with. It's fine. Don't. You're not saving yourself from a perverse generation. You're losing yourself in that same generation. And so Peter points this out very powerfully. Pentecost morning. And 3,000 people come to Jesus that morning. They understood then salvation. They understood the kingdom. They didn't preach a tolerant message. Hey, if you want to follow Yeshua, like, you know, we decided to follow him. And we, we kind of like it, actually. We like it. We knew him personally. We kind of like this. We feel comfortable with it. If you guys want to follow some other system, that's cool. They have a tolerant message. And also, they didn't teach their own ideas. Peter, Paul, all those men who and women who evangelized didn't say, well, you know, you heard about all the stuff that Jesus did. But, you know, we were there, and actually, I think it's gotten kind of exaggerated. I, I wouldn't put too much worry into that. No, they're not teaching their own ideas. Yeah, he told us this, but, you know, when you think about it, makes a lot more sense to do the other thing because after all it makes you more comfortable why would you want to stress yourself out why would you want to do something you know on saturday morning or sunday morning when you've worked all week and you're tired just you know when you feel like it you can do whatever no they didn't preach their own 
opinions, their own ideas, because he had commissioned them. And then they were empowered by the Ruach, the Holy Spirit. And under this apostolic authority, they went out into the world because he gave them the authority. He commissioned them. They didn't commission themselves. John the Baptist, as awesome as he was, didn't commission anybody to go preach the news to all the world. The Pharisees didn't do that. David didn't do that. Abraham didn't do that. Moses didn't do that. Yeshua is the only one that said, you're going to go to all the nations and you're going to preach this message. So they're under his authority because they don't speak as ambassadors. Again, you don't speak on your own. You don't give your opinions. You don't say, well, the president said this, but you know, I think he's mistaken. I don't think he's with it on this point. I think this is a better way. No, you speak with the authority that comes from whoever sent you there, not your own authority. We don't speak on our own authority when we're ambassadors of the kingdom because we have no authority. We have no authority. We have very little righteousness. We have a little bit of holiness, not much. We have zero authority unless it's given to us. So, The ambassador doesn't work on his own ideas. They're representatives. They're messengers. We represent the kingdom. We're messengers of the kingdom. We say what we're told to say. We say what we're commissioned to say. We're commissioned to preach the gospel. Now, as you've heard me say a million times, no, hardly anybody in the world knows what the gospel is anymore. Everybody now thinks the gospel is just be nice. Don't cause any trouble. Don't hurt anybody's feelings. Well, sometimes Yeshua hurt people's feelings. Sometimes he preached harshly. Not all the time, but there's a time for that because it's the message that's important, not the person's self-esteem. So we have to go and say what we're commissioned to say. We don't make it up as we go along in some seeker-friendly mode where we just want everybody to come here and be comfortable. We want people to come to our church and just kind of enjoy themselves, have a nice time, not feel threatened be affirmed in what they're doing. And we don't have to worry so much about the truth, capital T. Well, you know, First Peter 3.15 says, we, always, we are always ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within us with gentleness and respect. You do it with gentleness and respect. You make people feel comfortable, but the message is the same. The message isn't, you're okay, I'm okay. So if the ambassador is rejected, if the message is rejected, then Yeshua is being rejected. The plan of salvation is being rejected. 
you can feel rejected, but guess what? It's not about you. Without him, you would be nothing. You might be a big deal right now, but the day will come when you will be reduced to nothing. And that will last for all eternity. And you don't want that to happen to people around you. So when they reject the message, they're rejecting him. So you shouldn't feel rejected. So what's the message? What do we say then? Well, there's no other name. Well, but isn't that kind of narrow-minded? Isn't that kind of bigoted? Isn't that kind of simple thinking? Well, call it whatever you want. There's no other name. There's no other way. There's no other way to be saved. Tell them where they stand. You stand condemned. You stand steeped in sin, as it says in the Bible. You're steeped in sin. It's not a feel-good message. And it's not our own idea. So we have to keep these points in mind as we spread the news. We don't compromise that it's only in his name. We don't compromise that the problem is sin. And we don't do a feel-good message because that that affirms people in sin by telling them they're all right when they're not all right. Our own idea may be, hey, you know, it's okay. I understand. You're a mess. Hey, Hey, that's all right. You know, we'll try to work through this. Do the best you can. You know, hang in there. Go to some positive thinking place. If those are your ideas, you're not doing what the commission says. And the other point is, there's only a couple of minutes left. I can't believe it. The other point is that the embassy of a country belongs to the country that owns it. So in other words, the United, the American embassy in Madrid is United States territory, even though it's in Spain. It's under the laws of the home country, not the laws of the host country. And there's defense around it. There's Marines that guard the embassy. So we're from a home government. And when we go, we go in the power of that home government. And we live according to that law, not the law of the country that we're living in. We don't go through the world doing everything like the world does and say, well, when you get a chance, I'll tell you a little bit about Jesus. I don't want to put any pressure on you, but I just want to get his, you know, mention it a little bit. No, we live by the laws of the kingdom that sent us, not the kingdom that we're currently living in, that we've been sent to be an ambassador to. And I think that's an important point. Because if um, if we don't understand that, if we don't feel, if we feel that we should be like the world in order to bring the world in, then that's not good. That is a, that's an error because we're to be in the world, but not of the world, he tells us. And so... That's an important point to keep in mind, especially in the times that we live. 
So ambassadors commissioned, great commission, not about us, representing the kingdom in a hostile country, culture, and living by the laws of the kingdom, not the laws of the place where we happen to be at the time, which in our case is the world. Whew. So anyway, that's Second Corinthians 5.20 about being ambassadors. So thanks for tuning in and um, we'll be back again next week with another message. So hope you can join us. <laughs>